So I have a real strong connection with that emotional thing of saying things that inside you can't always say, but abstractly, musically, you can say and more. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Rosemary. Hello, Rosemary. Hi, David. Hi. Now we're we're sat near Denmark Street in a cafe. Which is where we, I think, where we first met, isn't it, Denmark Street? Because th- that's the first question I ask people. How did you meet I'm trying me? to think. I don't think it was. Uh, we eventually ended up rehearsing oh, at the Enterprise Studios, which is just up the road here. Yeah, that's, that's right. Well, actually, no, I think I met you because we rehearsed in Enterprise Studios. And then when I met you, though, we were, we were rehearsing in Manor House. That's right. That's right. And you came along yeah, to yeah. an audition for, for drumming. That's it was you right. and a guy called Richard who both came along to audition for drumming on the same day yeah. and we took both of you. Yeah, and um, I also brought my percussion, I see. That's right. On that day too. Oh yes, your... Um, your what, congas. Congas, yeah. that's yeah. right. And you play bongos and congas yeah. and guitar and also you, guitar, you pretty yeah. much do everything. Uh-huh, yeah. uh, that's why we, we snapped you up when we could, really. I never go in the fiddle. <laughs> <laughs> Both of our ex-bands, Apples for Everyone, when it was you were sort of one of the the last people from the original lineup, I think, that right. sort of cemented. Yep. When we were there was I don't know fifteen of us or something, wasn't there? Right. The, the crazy right. time. Yeah. What do you do now? What's what do I do now? Okay, I work three days a week, part time, and I work as a musician, come activity worker, with people with learning difficulties. That's in Hounslow, in a resource centre. And I go in three days a week, uh, I do a lot of music. There's a musician there I play with sometimes. Mostly guitar, bits and pieces like that. Percussion stuff. Not teaching, no. but just using music as a sort of like a, like a Heineken to reach those parts other things can't reach yeah. with people in that situation. Really. Ah, okay, yeah, okay? yeah. Just to get people moved emotionally, open up a little bit. Enjoy listening. And what what age group are these? Right through from late twenties to mid sixties. Wow, quite an age group. Uh, people come into the resource centre, spend the day there. Uh, they do a bit of art. Got an art room. I do a bit of dance. I'll be music on. Just go a bit crazy. Yeah. To keep ourselves fit. Yeah. Uh, I do a bit of driving. So I take people out. We go into the community and go for cups of tea and have a laugh and go to parks. So it's quite sort of outreach work part of it. Uh, it's it's outreach they, into the community. Yeah, that's what that's what outreach generally yeah. means. Because I'm because yeah. I'm a I'm an early years library outreach worker. So yeah. I, I I kind of meet a lot of outreach workers yeah. in different fields, and that's the, the kind of when yeah. people hear outreach, that's yeah. generally what it means: yeah. going and meeting people in the community and yeah. getting them involved. In yeah, but it's not so much working with people out there; it's taking, taking them into, into the, the centre. Oh, into the community, yeah, so from the centre to the community. For instance, for a town, we'll come for a cup of tea, we'll come for the first upstairs even. Yeah, absolutely. You know? uh, well, uh, I do like the work very much, because for me, it has a good sense of challenge. Yeah. Not just for myself, working with people in that situation, but for us to challenge perceptions of people with learning difficulty. Yeah. And difference. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. 
I mean, I, I, I work myself with, with children under five with oh, right. special educational needs and learning difficulties. And yeah, I think it's a very valuable thing to, to challenge those perceptions. Yeah. I mean, the age group that I work with, they're so young that, they're, that their needs are so great. It can be very heartbreaking, really, when you see how far they're going to have to go to get some kind of integration. Yeah. But you kind of work with them on the, the other end where yeah. they're, they're, they're in a situation where you can integrate them a little bit more easily, I think. Yeah. However, when I work with children's theatre, then that perspective that you're talking about is a really interesting perspective. Because, well, let's get really contemporary and think about the riots now yeah. that have just happened, okay. okay? And all the reaction to that and all the kind of uh, thoughts people have had about young people children, young adults, all that situation. Well, when you work with five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, that's such a magic time, isn't it? And you know that, it's such a magic time, because you're working with people who are so malleable in their thinking, that you have such a great chance of putting lots of lovely, creative, positive views. Definitely into that work I mean I've not met a child under five because I work with the under fives I've not met with a child under five who has not been in some way incredibly lovely do you know what I mean yeah. that, 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 that it's far it's later that the, the barriers will be put up and you get, you will meet kids where you're like I know you were a lovely child once but now how can I reach that lovely child yeah. when they're under five yeah. it's right there you can yeah. see it yeah. there's not a child with any malice I guess yeah. yet yeah. Yeah. and it's what we do to those children that Absolutely. creates that malice later Absolutely. on the kids with special educational needs and well special needs I guess that I work with I mean they're, they're quite severe, it's quite severe under five in terms of developmental stages children with stream autism and down syndrome and stuff it's really hard to get them to even sit down for a song you know <laughs> it, even though music can touch them and they love the ukulele it, it's so hard to, to 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 kind of touch them in any way than just a really s- peripheral sort of s- small way at that right. age you've got much older people is it easier for you to connect with them on a more well, deep level in terms of music and it's quite difficult to know what effect you're having and right. it's quite patronizing to think that you're having a great effect that's right exactly i keep thinking that you know because all you can do is put things in people's way and if people want to pick it up and enjoy it and you see some reaction fine if they don't that's also fine yeah you know, trouble with artists, and I talk about myself yeah, in this yeah. as well, and yourself, is that we have an ego. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if our ego is it's like not even bruised, but slightly passed away a little bit, we get very offended by that. We can do. Yeah. Right. So we have to come back from that. We always have to see things not from just us and me, and we can do this, but what do people really want? Yeah. What do people want to really pick up? When I did drama, and I did it for 14 years with a theatre company, I worked with four or five-year-olds going right through to 12, 13, 14 years. Mm-hmm. And when I did a session, the first thing I ever did once I got from a session was not to say and tell them to do something, but ask a question. That was always my first thing to do, is ask a question. 
okay. Because so often we come along, we think we have, because we're older, or because we think we're wiser, or because they're younger, we think we're there then to talk down, to give them this, to give instruction. Whereas, what I believe, it was a meeting. I would come down a little bit, because I was older, okay, I knew a few more things. They would come up a little bit, because they wanted to come up to meet me, and we would find a meeting place. Yes. Where we would communicate. Not as adult child, child adult, but as us. Yes. As Rosemary and Fred, or Frida, whoever it was. And that's where we would start from. No, that's brilliant. And in some ways, drama is an easier way in to feelings and emotion than music. Yeah. In some ways. Although one of the things I've learned as well is that with the, in terms of the ego, first of all, I would say definitely work with children under five and your ego soon goes away. Uh, there, yes. there's, there's no real option. <laughs> they're just they're just to be distracted by something on the wall behind you yes. when you're talking to them and that's fine and, and that's yes. how it should be. But the, but the other thing I've also learned is that sometimes when you, you feel like you're having no effect, you are actually having an effect. So a child might not even be looking, but if you're playing music in the room, Yes. Actually, three weeks later, that might pay off yeah. in a way that you never really realised at the time yeah. it was going in and it was having a relationship yeah. to them. So, I mean, I imagine it's like that for you to yeah. a certain extent. Well, when I just going back to the job, I've got yeah. more illustrations. For absolutely, that for you. yeah, no, no. That's all right. No, absolutely. I also start with a circle. We'd all sit in a circle. Now, for me, that was quite good because I could see everybody yep. sitting down. But also, it was very equal. Yeah, there was no, there was not me here at the front of the class, and there were the children in their rows there or whatever, in a circle, sitting down on the floor, a very equal sort of basis. Now, quite often when I did a drama session, I'd have the teacher there, and I'd say, "Don't worry about management of the class because I'll sort that as I do. I want the focus in this circle." Yeah. And nine times out of ten, if there was someone in that class who was a bit of an out-and-outer, a bit naughty, yeah. want to test me, have a go, right? Yeah. Instead of walking away, quite often, they would come and sit to my right or my left. They would sit near to me. So even though they were naughty, it was saying to me that they wanted something out of this session. Oh, absolutely. N- naughtiness yeah. is a, it's just to provoke yeah. a response from absolutely. you, and so that's the, a kind of love in a way. Absolutely. So, even though I was giving it out into the group, I was always remembering the people to my side here, yeah. who maybe not always had a voice, who maybe not always academically could achieve, and I'm talking maybe a bit older than five, six, yeah, seven, yeah, yeah. eight, nine, tens, elevens, right? But still had a great contribution to make what we were doing and in fact sometimes more well yeah I mean in a way like I think having worked with children under five I realized how important it is to get to get it right when they're young but 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 you working with children older than than five you know five to sort of 15 that kind of age that's the real battle lines time that's when you, you know you can see the lovely child but you can also see the potential unlovely adult and yeah. it's about fighting to, 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 yeah. to try and get the, the child to go the right direction rather yeah. than the wrong direction yeah 
So I mean, that that must be. I, I always have such respect for people. Like my girlfriend works in in, a, in primary school, and I always I always have a big respect for people who who fight on the battle lines. You know, it's it's easier where I'm at when the children are more malleable and engaged yeah. and yeah. Uh, interested in yeah. a way that they're not necessarily when they're older. You did a, a, a children's drama theatre company, was that right? Or? Yeah. It was something called the Upstream Children's Theatre, and in 1980, I don't know if you remember 1980. I was born one year later. Okay, <laughs> well, in 1980, 81, <laughs> 1980, 81, dear, you remember that? Okay. Were the Brixton Riots? Yeah. You've heard of the Brixton I Riots? I have heard of the Brixton Riots. They're in the news a lot okay. in relationship to the current riots, aren't right. they? Right, okay. Well, in that year, there were the riots in Brixton. Yeah. Out of which, when they finally had peace, the DOE, the Department of, Edu- uh, of the Environment, decided to put money into the community. And out of that money into the community, this company, from a part-time children's theatre and workshops, became a full-time company. Wow, okay. All right. And so you were you in it from the start? Or were you I was, I joined the company, I trained as a performer, as an actor. Uh, I started doing part-time workshops just to kind of earn a little bit of money, be involved in theatre, but do drama, theatre workshops part-time, after school, Saturdays, that sort of stuff. But funding came for the company to go full-time. That was a company of three people. We were all actors. We were all kind of workshop leaders. We would do occasional shows, stuff like that. And in 82, the woman that started that company left the company. And I became the artistic director in 82, and she left. And then we were picked up by the INIA, remember the Inner London Education Authority? I don't, I don't think I've heard of it. Well, the Inner London Education Authority was the main authority over all schools in London. Right. It is now the Aquarium, the London Aquarium. Okay. Okay? They were queer fish then, but this <laughs> more, they're all fish now. Right. Um, and they, all, they picked us up in funding. And that's how I ran the company. But I changed the direction. Right. Instead of after-school workshops, it was going into schools. It was doing play schemes, summer play schemes. It was me working with an administrator. And we would raise money, apart from our funding, our statutory funding. I'd bring in a theatre company. I'd write plays, direct those plays. They would go out then into schools. And I would do workshops connected to the themes of the plays I'd written. And that's how it ran. How did you sort of choose what to write the plays about? We thought really hard about things that were very important to the company. Really, really strong commitment to equal opportunity in the company. Not just a document, not just a bit of paper, but how that could actually work for children, young people that we were working with, what it meant. So, for instance, we were based in South London. And because... 70-80% 70-80% of South London children African-Caribbean descent, Asian descent. Mm-hmm. We've reflected that in the company. So we always worked as a mixed company. Always. It's really important for us to do that. Because we wanted that, those children to identify with us. Yeah. And therefore respond to us as well. The themes. We worked on things like competition and cooperation. Bullying. 
uh, anti-racist strategies and fun, of course, fun. Yeah, yeah. But it was not an acting environment to say, oh, we're going to make these children into little actors. No, it was to get them to, to find something of themselves. Yes. To, to be able to yeah. talk about. And Invest to, uh, emotionally, express, express mm. learn through the drama, empathise with other people through the drama. Yeah, when I, when I was at university, I did a course in radical theatre. The final kind of project that we did for that was a theatre in education project where we went into the primary school and did theatre role play and stuff like that with them. And our aim was to provoke a change in understanding. We did a lot of reading of the theory, you know, theatre in education theory. And what we decided was the most important thing was to try and provoke a change in understanding for the children. And then we realised that what you're required to do is to show, prove that you've created a change in understanding for the children. And then we realised that that's so hard to, it's so hard to quantify and prove the really important things like love or compassion or uh, interest. How do you show that children, did you, did you find that was a, an issue um, for you guys coming it, up? It did tend to be a bit of an issue, yeah, because you could say that within the workshop situation, that's where you got your work, that's where you attained the work that you really wanted, when people were moved so much, and I'll give you some examples of that in a minute if you want that. Yeah, that sounds good. We also used some of the themes that were given to us by the schools. They would have a topic, usually in a primary school, they might do, I don't know, travel, or they might do the environment, or they might do the weather, and we would use that topic to work with the children in lots of different ways, yes, look at it in a kind of a academic way, but also look at how it hinges upon people in their lives. Um, a very good example maybe would be one school we went to was about travel through the ages. That was the topic we had. So I went into school, I didn't have a lot of preparation, I just started working with this one class of about 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds. And I started with my usual question, what, what do you mean by travel, what, what does that mean? So all these things, forms of transport and all that sort of stuff. I said, what about in the past, how did people travel then? Telling me about sailing ships and all the usual sort of stuff. Suddenly, one child said this word, they said, slavery. Wow. Slavery. Now I'm in a class, you imagine, of ten-year-olds. I've got the teacher there with me, I've got a class of 25, 30 children, and I get this word thrown at me. Yeah. Right? And it's a heavy word. Now, what do I do? Do I dump the word and think, okay, and move on? Or do I go into it? Now, the teacher there is sitting at the side. They never used to get involved. They used to get there and observe their own class. They like the chance for a rest. Yes, like and that. I like them to do that. Yeah. I want them to observe their class here yeah, with me working yeah. And she looked at me and I said, Okay, slavery. What do you know about slavery? So they started telling me these things, what it was about, people being taken from Africa, taken away, this was happening. So I started storytelling, and it was always a great device I felt to use in school. And so as I story told, I got this image in my head, and have you ever seen these images, David, of these, these ships with everybody laid out in the ship? chained together. Yeah, the chain, chain. Right the way round the hull of the ship, right the way, all the way into the ship. People chained together, as close as we yeah. are. 
even close. As I story told, I had this image, and I was bringing children out into the school hall, laying them out exactly in this position. I talked about the chain, and I began weaving this imaginary chain in and out of all the children. So they were all lying on the school floor, chained, not moving. So as you were telling the story, as you got them to lie story. down and, and, yeah. and be chained? I would say, and that they were lying here, brothers, sisters, daughters, sons, yeah. laying them all out. And then I began to say, we sailed out to sea, and it was dark, and they were thinking about their families they had been taken from and left behind and going somewhere they didn't know where. And then I pointed to one of them and said, what are you thinking when you wake up this night? And then somebody would wake up and again, talking, just improvising about their family and how emotionally they felt about being dragged away from their families. How they felt about leaving them behind. Where were they going? How it was hurting them to be where they were. And that's the basis of the sort of work I did. So yes, it was about travel, but it was about human beings travelling in that situation. Now it was a spontaneous decision that yes. you made in the, in, the, yes. in, the, in the session. That's really good. Because not only did I want to challenge the children always, I wanted to challenge myself. It's funny that thing that inspired me because I did theatre at university and I have written for theatre and I, I, I maintain a very deep interest in theatre and the thing that inspired me to do theatre I think looking back on it was a theatre in education experience that I had when I was a child in primary school in North Wales, Cairnoris, the smallest town in Europe at the time but now I think this Eastern Europe has beaten it but in this school there I don't know how they would happen to be there it seems very glamorous for this small village school but the piece was there was a so we went into the hall and there was a teepee set up and there was a Native American sitting there and a cowgirl okay. right? right and the the cowgirl gave this big talk about what it was like to be in the American West and all the time the Native American was sitting there and was essentially her slave it was clear yeah. that he was her sort of slave and she talked about how um, horrible she thought that he was and bad-mouthed him and said all these horrible things in front of him to us and said, I'm going to, I'm leaving now, whatever you do, make sure he isn't fed. And she threw down this food on the floor out of his reach because he was chained up, left the room and suddenly all of the children were there. There's this man who wants this food and we're all there in this big group when we're not supposed, we've been told by an adult not to give him the food and no one knew what to do and I got up and picked up the food and gave it to the Native American actor and you know, it, at which point she came back in and that was, I guess, what we were supposed to do, they were right. expecting, I, I guess, it, you know, it's lucky that one of right. us did do it, yeah. but the effect it had on me was like, it blew my mind, I was like, you can say, you can, adults can say things that aren't true and that, that this, yeah. you know, that... It wasn't just the fact that I learned that that history isn't necessarily true, that, that actually the underdogs aren't represented well by history and stuff like that, that I, I know as an adult now, but I don't think I was intellectualising then. It was just, I don't know what it was, it was just this experience where I was like, wow, theatre can touch these things that 
aren't real but are more real than real you know that, yeah. that are true but yeah. uh, aren't true you know yeah. that that's right it was amazing yeah and that's guess why why i so i mean i've always thought theory and education is a fantastic thing yeah. i guess it's because great of that. device it's great device and it's funny that you should mention uh, native american because there's a, a very famous saying about empathy that comes from that which is how do you know what someone feels unless you've walked a mile in their moccasins. Uh, and that's an American Indian saying. And in a way, that was what I was trying to achieve with the children I was working with. Is okay, so you, do, you live in Brixton, you live in South London, you don't live in America in the 1800s when the white men came. However, you can begin to understand by spending a bit of time just walking in their shoes. Yeah, that's right, yeah. You know, and just seeing what that felt like. It's always the fun aspect as well, because it's not all kind of dry emotion, it's, it's the fun out of that situation too. Absolutely. The exhilaration of actually doing something that you've been told by an adult, inverted commas, not to do. Well that was right, I mean for me it was my first revolutionary act I think, yeah. on some level, although it wasn't revolutionary because it was what the theatre company wanted me to do. Absolutely. But, but, it, but it felt like yeah. a revolution, I guess it's, it's sort of formative in my politics as well as in my, yeah. as well as in my theatre kind of yeah. relationship to art I think. Yeah. I mean it was, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, that, that, that if somebody is starving you must help was something I understood probably better as a child than I ever will, you know, as, a, yes. as than you ever will as an adult, yeah. because you've got all of these other things, and you're like, yeah. we're all part of a system, and if yeah. they're starving, it's not my fault, and yeah. blah blah. Where you're a child, even though he wasn't starving, yeah. you know, you believe it, you yeah. believe it, Absolutely. and you do something for it. Absolutely. You are a drummer, yes, and you're a woman, yes, which is quite a r- rare combination. Yes. How long have you been drumming for? Well. I used to be a drummer a long, 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 long time ago. Mm-hmm. However, I wasn't very good. Right. Because it was one of those times when you were about 15 and somebody said, oh, let's start a band, you be the drummer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you know yeah. that situation. I do know that. You had no idea how to play, but you thought it was so cool. Yes. Wasn't very good. Did that, got thrown out the band eventually because I wasn't up to the mark. Right. When I went to the theatre, I started using a hand drum in my storytelling and over the time of working like that for years my timing everything began to improve because I was using it as like full stops at the end of a story to start a story again atmosphere it was such a great device to have and then about five years ago because I'm now over 25 (laughs) only by a couple of years I started having drum lessons thinking that I really want to play kit drums, I want to play drum set. Yeah. I've got to the point now that I've been in several bands, not just as a percussionist, but as a drummer. And I'm in a band now which I'm really happy with, playing this sort of music I love to play, which is going really well as a drummer. Just on the verge of getting some gigs. And Fantastic. Playing. Uh, it's a three-piece, playing like rock, blues sort of stuff. Hendrix, Cream, all that sort of stuff, which I really, really love. You're very um, much from the blues kind of That is kind tradition. of my push, I think, really. Because in a way, it's, yes, the music, but the music in a sense is such a, when you think about it, a liberation for people in the past. Yeah. 
when, you know, people had fuck all, and the only way they could fight, excuse my language. That's all right, it's acceptable on the podcast, it's fine. But the only way people could express themselves was through that emotional sort of way of playing and feeling and singing and interpreting feelings. So I have a real strong connection with that emotional thing of saying things that inside you can't always say, but abstractly, musically, you can say and more. And I used to go to jams with my conkers and bongos at one time. Just after I'd lost Charlotte, my partner, I'd had been with for 27 years. Because for me also, it was gestalt therapy. I did know about gestalt therapy. I do know a bit, but my, the audience might not. Well, for the audience sake, I don't know a great deal, right? But imagine going to a gestalt therapist and he gives you a cushion and a baseball bat. <laughs> and he says, beat the hell out of that cushion with yeah. that baseball bat and think about what's getting you upset and angry as you do it. So for me, my percussion became that. Not only was I playing, but I was just working through my feelings, my emotions. There's nothing like music to do that as well, I think. Fantastic. It's- I stopped smashing up things as much yeah. after I got into music, yeah. yeah. Just play a punk song. Yeah, whatever. So, music now is really a great part of my life. I go to two or three jams a week with my harmonica and all my guitar or do some kind of quite rough, gruff vocal or something like that. I'm not a great singer, but... I, I think you've got a good voice, oh, yeah. I just think that it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a certain kind of voice. Yes. So, I mean, that, and that's yeah. what we've well, all got. That's I what sound, we've all yeah. got. Somebody said I sound like Stevie Nicks the other week, so I thought, oh, all right. That's all right, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and then once a fortnight, I rehearse with my band, which is fantastic, which I'm really loving. And you're playing drums in that band? I or? play drums in that band, and there's a lead guitar player who is very good, bass player who sings... We've got a set list together, we've got 24 songs ready to go. No one looking for gigs. Good, right, wow, okay, well. Can I say the name of my band? You certainly Radicals can. To the millions you certainly listening. can, you'll have another opportunity to plug later, but yeah, absolutely. Okay, plug the name of the band is Le Miro. The what? Le Miro. Le Miro. L E M I R O. Okay. Le Miro. Right. You have to ask me Why what? is that the Why name of your band? I was going to ask that anyway. <laughs> okay. Well, I thought of the name. And it comes from this. Len is the bass player, right. L-E. Yeah. Michael is the guitar player, M-I. And you're a Rosemary. And Rosemary, okay. R-O. So it's nice. Len Miro. So it sounds, it, sounds, it sounds like it's kind of uh, about something, but actually it's just a, a shortening of bits Quite of right, name. yes. There is a surrealist artist called... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's an ex- exhibition of Miro That's right. at the moment. Yeah. That's right. But, it, but it's just kind of a name to bring us together yeah. to play. Playing drums, it's a loud thing to practice. Yeah, I practice at home. I've got mutes on my drums, so I can practice on that. I have a lesson once a fortnight with my teacher. This is a studio, so I can let, let it go a bit there. I get a chance at jams to play, so uh, I get by. So, yeah, no, that's right. I mean, have you ever had problems with neighbours? Well, I did, and I've got a story about that, if you want to hear that story. Yeah, that'd be great. I was practising one day without my pads on before I put them on, and there was a knock <laughs> on the door. So I opened the door, and this is really about my own misperception, but I opened the door, and in the doorway stood this guy of six feet tall, black guy, with locks. He looked so cool. And he said, come on, man, give it a break. And I thought, oh, he wants to come into jam with me, in my naivety. (laughs) So I said, all right, man, that's cool, come in. He said, no, no, the drumming is too loud, he said, man, it's too loud. I said, oh, 
Oh, like you said, there are two elderly ladies living in the flat where I live, and they're, you know, they're getting all this noise, man. I said, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm awfully sorry. And I apologised profusely, because obviously my main objective was to keep on practising and not to be stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I apologised to him, and then covered over my drums at that stage. And came to see him. So there's me, you know, I probably stereotyped him. But he said he did play bass guitar. I thought, <laughs> you get your bass, man, and come around and show. But yeah, that would upset the old ladies I more, mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just a bit crazy like that, really. Well, you're always good for jamming. I, I always admire when we've been in places together where there have been jams going on. You'll, you'll get, up, get right up there and, and get involved, whereas I, I'm not... I'm not kind of capable of it. I can play my own songs, or I can, but I can't just sort of get up and, 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 and jam. I'm not very good at that. Yeah, jealous of you for that. Well, I'm a musical whore, David. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I'll drop my knickers for any musical occasion. I mean, uh, not for sex. Yeah, for no, music. for music. I, <laughs> I, I know, and, and, that, and that's, but that's a great thing. I, it, that's a really valuable thing in musical situations because there's often a lot of people who are scared of it and you, you sort of bring them into it because you, you get up and do it and that gives kind of everyone permission yeah. to... Well, I remember when I first started at drama, we did a lot of improvisation. Now, I'd never really had a lot of practice at drama before. I just had this urge in me to do it. And... Whenever there was an improvisation, even though I was scared stiff, I would always put myself forward first. I would always jump in and start. And as soon as I did that, it just happened. It just happened. A lot of my friends, my colleagues, my fellow students, just gripped the wall and stayed to the side and would not jump in. But as soon as you jump in and you put yourself in a creative situation with a little bit maybe of knowledge, it just happens. I mean, I, I think I'm kind of similar, not always for music, and I'm a bit more reluctant. I'm a very, I'm stressy about it. But if someone needs to step forwards and nobody else is going to do it, I will step forwards. But at the same time, I don't do it with a, abandon, with... With, 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 you do it with a kind of lack of it feels like it's with a lack of self-consciousness if I sort of step forward I'm like am I going to do this right am I, am, everyone's looking at me am I doing this right I'm very worried about getting it right and doing something good you know, I think the older I get the more, more reluctant I am to step forward because I'm more aware that I don't always get it right, right. but you just do it with kind of a band how do you how, does that, how do, you do that it's a, it's a double thing yeah I don't want to mess up either. Yeah, I mean... However, as soon as I'm up in front of an audience, something really happens to me. That I just think, yeah, you're looking at me, and I can say, and stop. And they're still looking at me. So I love to play with people, and pull people in. No, it works when it works. I mean, I, I, I know what you mean. When it clicks, when I'm in front of an audience and it clicks, then I'm not worried then I know it's working. It's the kind of... But, the, but there must be times when you sort of... You d the, the click doesn't happen and you're sort of trying to make a connection with the audience and it's not working. I mean, how do you, how do you find that? I just don't really know. I just, it just happens. Yeah. Really. It's kind it of a happens. mystical thing that sort of yeah. happens to you. Maybe it is a mystical thing. I think, well, I think there is something to that. I mean, yeah. I know there's a lot of very rational people about these things, but when I think of the times when I've... When I've clicked with an audience, I can't say why that's happened that time and not right. this other time. I can't say why one time I sang this song and it was 
a knockout and the right. next time I sung it it was a failure I can't say yeah. what it is you can't that, say what it that is, does can that. You? I mean you can try but it, yeah. you can't you sum know. it up I had a friend of mine who was an actor a long while ago he's passed though I think Dudley and he was about six foot four he was an actor good actor friend of Weber Douglas one of the big academies you know but he said to me, you know, it's, sometimes it's easier, Rosemary, to be smaller. I'm five foot three. It's quite small, really. Yeah, I, was, I, I remembered you were taller when I, yeah. when, I, when I saw you today and I gave yeah. you a hug. I was like, you're smaller than I am. I thought, I'm yeah. smaller than I am. However, this might be relevant to what I'm going to say, to your, <laughs> your perception. Um, when I'm on stage, she said, I play like this, and you can't see me, everyone, but he would kind of bend slightly forward and, and, and play more down to the floor. Yeah. However, when I go on stage, because I'm only five foot three, I go the other way. Yeah. I open up. Yes, you do, yeah. You know, and so by opening up and saying, and making yourself tall, you seem as if you're pulling everybody in. So in a funny sort of way, that has like an advantage. That yeah. you really project your personality. But I'm not saying I'm feeling inadequate. And small, so therefore I overcompensate. I don't quite mean that. I mean that you just kind of open out more. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, you, yeah exactly. You sort of, you, you're just, I, I think that's what audiences respond to as well. Yeah. A lot of the time, openness can be very, yeah. very engaging. Yeah. Also, closeness, nervousness can also be very oh, well, engaging in a too. very different yes, way. Yeah, that's right. Certainly, that's definitely your strength, is that when you're on stage, you're kind of a force to be reckoned with you're, you've got a hell of a lot of energy I mean yeah. I mean, I always thought it was interesting that in, in the band you were one of the older members right. but you had high energy from start to finish of the gig yeah. now this year was it this year I think it was this year because I, I didn't I didn't I didn't come but uh, you, you got married was it this last, oh, yeah. last year uh, two years ago two years ago wow time goes so two quick. years ago Andrew and I had a civil partnership that's right because you, and you were sort of one of the right. first wave of yeah we were yeah for a long while I'd wanted this to happen for us and Angela was not so sure because in a way with gay relationships it's um it's interesting I mean in in kind of gay years you know two three years is quite a long time really to be together yeah they can be transient and particularly perhaps Within male game relationships, they're usually kind of very transient. Yeah, sometimes, uh, yeah. However, they do say about lesbian relationships that on the first date you bring along the mortgage agreement. Yes. You know, <laughs> and sign here, and that's it, committed. So they tend to be a bit more committed. However, Andrew was very unsure about us actually getting married. And I use the term getting married because it's so convoluting to say Andrew for a long time was wanting a civil partnership and blah, 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 blah. Well, we marriage, is, marriage. marriage is, is marriage marriage is what you want it to be I yeah. mean, so, you know, they can call it civil partnership but it's marriage if you want it to be called marriage you know? absolutely right so we went on holiday to Grand Canaria in the Canary Islands and she asked me which I said, are you sure? Are you pulling my leg? I said yes first, by the way. I said yes. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> and she said yes. I said, well, but of course. So that happened two years ago. So we had a great time. We got married at a place which might abuse everyone, which was called Grimsdyke. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is in Bushy, in Hertfordshire. 
Yeah. Was it chosen for the pun name? No, it was not chosen for the pun name, although it was quite <laughs> ironical, we thought, at the time, and funny, because it's always good to laugh at yourself, I Yeah, think. absolutely. Uh, but it was the home, originally, of W.S. Gilbert, ah, of Gilbert and Sullivan. Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah. Now it's a hotel, in beautiful grounds. They have a licence for regular heterosexual weddings, and they also have a licence for civil partnerships. Yeah. So we got married there, and we had the reception there too. Oh, and it was lovely grounds and flowers and all that, roses, blah, blah, blah. Great time. Only about 25 of our friends, we had a kid attend. And then we did it there. In fact, we've just celebrated our second anniversary. So. Wow, that's, see, that's when I was in Italy. You remember? Time goes. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah. The reason I, I bring up your marriage is because it, it, it is a sort of historical, uh, historical value. It was very early on. I mean, in fact, it, it was, was quite years new, ago. wasn't it? Yeah. When the war came in, and, that's, and it was something that the Labour government brought in. Yeah, just it was quite new. Was part of the reason that you wanted to get married related to your faith? Or do you think it was unrelated to your faith? No, um, I would not say it's related to my faith. Now you've mentioned that, I'll talk a little bit about yeah, that, can that's I? that's more of my segue in, yeah. OK, cool, that's cool. <laughs> um, in terms of my faith, it's been tainted, really, by hypocrisy. Because within the church, there is a great deal of hypocrisy with regards to sexuality, gender otherness yes yes which i think well it's just it's just it's appalling now it's not the whole church there are certain sections of the church which are very welcoming there are even particular branches of churches which are directed at people lesbian gay bisexual transgendered people and set up for that particular group okay but there is still a lot of prejudice within the church itself with regards to gay issues. Yes, absolutely. And that's turned me away. I think it's, it's, not, even just, it's not even just Christianity, is it? yes. it's across all religions. This yes. is really one of yes. the major problems that yes. all religions come up against, yes. is that they, they just insist on considering homosexuality or whatever to be a sin. Or yeah. And, you know, you can see, if you read from their perspective, and what the text that they point you out to, and this, that, and the other, and all the academic, intellectual arguments against, for, whatever. But there's a lot of prejudice, unfounded prejudice, which is painful. A few years ago, I went along to a meeting at a Methodist church which was discussing sexuality. Their main speaker didn't turn up, which I was very disappointed about because the church was beginning to have a bit more of an inclusive view of things. However, some debate went on amongst the people gathered there, and somebody stood up and started talking about the issue of homosexual men working with children within the church. And I was absolutely appalled. And in fact, it wasn't even my church, and I was attending at that time. I stood up, and I just ran into him. I had a real run into him and saying, how pathetic is that to associate homosexual guys, men, whatever, working with children, that you're making the link between paedophilia, which is abhorrent, and people who are gay. Absolutely. 
absolutely they're not disgusting. connected they're not yeah. connected they're completely different things now that's what you're kind of you up know. against to some degree is that sort of view yeah and that has to be challenged now you might say well why aren't you still in the church to challenge those things but sometimes you know the bruise gets bigger the more you bang your head against the door yeah and then it begins to bleed and then you can't see and then you don't want it anymore there's no impetus on you to go and re- reform the churches. If the church want you, they should reform themselves. They need to. I think churches need to live up to their potential congregation rather than their potential congregation change to, to live up to the churches. How do you square then your faith with your sexuality then? Okay, well, first of all, I believe that God is love. May thing, whatever. Yeah. There is, that is indivisible. You can't massage that, you can't take that away, God is love. That is it. I mean, as far as I perceived myself to be when I was attending, when I was studying, when I was calling myself a Christian, which I don't do that now, Yeah. but when I was doing that, I knew I was accepted, I knew I was loved, I knew I was created and developed, and I am the person I am. So the, the first and last rule then is God is love, really. Absolutely. How that's can all you, you mean. How can you divide that? You know? But you believe that there's some kind of higher purpose. It's a really difficult one, isn't it? Yeah, for everybody. That definitely. <laughs> it's one of the essential Shit. questions. Um, <laughs> I believe in a spirit within us that drives us to be creative, that drives us to talk to one another, that drives us to care for one another, that motivates us not to our intellect, but just to our feeling that connects us. I believe that we live forever through other people. I believe we live through our forever through our remembrance of people gone, of people to come, yeah. of people that we've left behind but are still loved and still living. I believe in the eternalness of that. Yeah. Right? Of the people that are still in our hearts. I've lost Charlotte in 2002 before I met Angela. I was with her for 27 years. She is dead. She is still in my heart and she still lives in my heart. Absolutely. That's eternal life to me. That is eternal life. Yeah, yeah. And she will never go from that. I will never deny her. I will never say that never happened between us. She is part of me. Well, absolutely. I mean, everybody that we've ever known are kind of and related to and loved yeah. form part of who we are. I mean, yeah. that was something we were talking about off mic before we started I was talking about how for me this project is is, is like that yeah. it is like a kind of autobiography through different conversations and yeah. different people I've known everybody reflects something in me and, and I've certainly this has been a this project has been a personal journey that I'm sort of going down and I've learned a lot through it I mean and your life has been a personal journey where you've learned a lot through through, yeah. through it to have gone from being a, a Christian to a non-Christian but still believing in something essential about the original kind of belief system that you had. I mean, there's something you've taken from Christianity, would you say, that's still within you? Yes, I would say what you have to, what I feel I have to strive for is my higher self. Yeah. What I call my higher self. Yeah. There's my base self, which thinks of me and is selfish and buys this, wants that, and do that, and be good and great and fantastic, be good of me, to my higher self, which 
tries to be altruistic, which tries to be thinking of other people, to be empathetic, to be listening, to be caring. Mm. That's such a battle. It's a hard one as well. It's a real battle. I mean, it's, it's a big part of why I'm doing this project, is to yeah. learn to listen better yeah. and to engage and be more empathetic. Yeah. And, to, and to, like you say, to I guess to go to my higher self, to... To, to, to play to my strengths and yeah. to work on my flaws yeah. and all of this stuff. And to admit those flaws too, not yeah. just to think, oh, they don't count, because they're all part of you too. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in a way, I, I don't even think anymore that there are flaws and strengths. I think all qualities are kind of neutral, and it's up to you which direction you push it. So confidence can be arrogance. Yes. Uh, you know, or, yes. it can be, or it can be unchanging love. Yep. You know, that you really have these qualities and you go to one side or the other. Yeah. So yeah. I have a lot of anger in me, but it's also what makes me kind of dynamic. Yeah. So I need to sort of push it to be dynamic yeah. and not to push it to be angry and, yeah. you know, things like that. I've been reading a book, which I always carry with me when I'm playing music, which is called Rhythm of the Head. And primarily it's about music. It's written by a drummer. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Would you believe it? Uh, but it's not necessarily to do with the technical rudimentary playing of drums. It's to do with philosophy yeah. and approaching playing any music for any musician. But primarily from a drummer's point of view because he's the drummer who wrote it. However, one of the things he says, all right, you see somebody playing, you think, they're really good, they're great, they're fantastic. Yeah. I wish, oh, well, I want to be like you know, I'm selfish I'm, je- I'm jealous of that I want to be like, oh you're not good I'm fucking good okay is it that no it's not that imagine drawing a line and looking at the piece of paper and somebody says to you that's that line is that drummer how can you make yourself better so you get your pencil you cross out the line no that's not it okay so you get the rubber at the end of the pencil you rub out the line no that's not it okay so you scribble all over that line of that drummer. No. And the line still... How do you make yourself better? So you get your pencil and you draw your line longer. Ah, uh, that's nice. Right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So that's philosophy. You can take that with anything. Okay, you see somebody doing that. How can you be... Am I going to beat him? No. How can I do it for myself? How can I improve myself? Yeah, you can't. How can I do it myself? I, I think the thing is, you can't change the fundamentals about who you are. Uh, that's what something I used to think I could do. But what you can do is learn how to manage those fundamentals to be the best. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm I'm wearing today my It Gets Better Project T-shirt. Probably doesn't mean very much to you actually. Yeah. But that project is a, a YouTube project in America where gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender people made these YouTube videos for teenagers now saying it gets better my life got better when I was your age I wanted to kill myself but now things have got better for me I relate to that project partly because I I mean I'm not gay but I was bullied a lot in school and I can say that even for straight people who are lost and scared when they're teenagers you know it gets better it can get better the older you get you you manage to deal with these things I didn't mean I wasn't didn't wear this t-shirt to bring it up but as you were talking I was reminded of the fact that I'm wearing this t-shirt and it seems to me that, that that your life is an example of how things can get better for people you're now married would you say you're you're happy in yourself now yeah yeah. absolutely and, you know, I, I, I believe that hasn't always been the case. 
Right. Do you think society is getting better? I guess that's what I'm reaching to try I and I guess there are say. lots of things that are happening now which are making people feel more welcome and accepted and included. Mm. And it's becoming much more of an inclusive society. However, sometimes there are stuff that happens that is not good yes. when you're on the street. When you're walking down the street and there are about six or seven guys on that corner and they call you out and you get abused, that's not good. That still happens, I'm sure. So if you're wa- walking hand me, in hand or... Well, that's right. If you walk through central London, Angela still, even now, will not necessarily always want to hold hands and make a show. If we come to a family pub, and when we say a family pub, I mean a gay-friendly pub. Yes. Right. I mean, this cafe we're talking from now is the first out cafe, right? Yeah, yeah. In a way, it's, it's a gay cafe. Yeah, yeah, I got that. I got right. that, I got that got impression as I came in, yeah. Right? Now, that doesn't mean to say it's exclusively. No, right? no. However, it's a friendly place. It's a family place. So we would feel quite relaxed here. If we went into a pub, which was not, and we sat in the corner holding hands, it could be a little bit difficult. Yeah. It could be a little bit different. Well, there was a pub in Soho, wasn't there, where t- t- people were That's barred right. from, for kissing That's uh, right. just recently. And, of course, a few years ago, there were the bomb attacks in Old Compton Street. Yes. At the Admiral Duncan. So there are still people around willing to do something which is going to hurt people who are of otherness. I mean, I guess the argument is that, that, that for yourself and Angela, you're from a generation where that was much more prevalent. Like... Well, yes, well, probably I was. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, 102, so <laughs> I... <laughs> She's a very glamorous uh, woman, however. Um, but, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, I guess the, the, the hope is that, that increasingly people will feel more and more comfortable holding hands in the street with people of I the same so. gender. And, I guess And so. increasingly, hopefully, that will become less and less of an issue. Yeah. But I agree with you, it's, it's certainly, we're not out of the woods yet. Yeah. And you don't know if there'll be a reaction against that as well. You yeah. don't know if in 10 years' time, you look at the government at the moment, you worry that things are going to become you know, more right, right-wing, yeah. rather than yeah. more uh, inclusive. Yeah. So we shall see. We shall see, yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying, I mean, that's only our experience. Yes. For other people, it may not be that problem at all. But I think there's still stuff around, really. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I guess, I mean, that's the thing about the It Gets Better project. It doesn't say society will stop judging you. It says that you will find a way to deal with the way society is. That That's the thing you don't have when you're a teenager. You don't feel like you'll ever be able to find your own way to be happy right. in life. Right. And it seems to me that you've found a way to be happy in yeah. life. I'm sure it's been a long battle, but it's it's a, a battle that you have currently at the at the yeah. moment, Touchwood, yeah. uh, succeeded in. It's something that hopefully I, in a very different way, for very different reasons, and probably much less serious reasons, but I've no, but found my own valid. way to be everyone happy at the valid. moment. You know, and it's no, I yeah, everyone is valid. Everyone has their own walk they have to do for mm, themselves. I agree with that, yeah. Neither, no more nor no less. Everyone has that battle within themselves that they have to achieve, get over. Everyone has that. It's not because I'm who I am that it's any more than yours, and you're less than me. We have our own. Maybe in some ways it's a bit more knife edge, perhaps, because it's a bit more in your face. But 
everyone is valid. Everyone has that walk they have to make, that decision they have to make. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not special, I'm just No, I, don't, I'm not, I didn't mean to say that you were yeah. special. I mean, I, I'm not saying you're not special either. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I just mean that, you know, you've, you've, at the moment you've, you've sort of found your way through to a sort of point in your life where you're able to express yourself in, in the way that you enjoy to express yourself yes. and you're able to do the things you want to do. Yeah. I currently am at a similar situation. I, mean, I know that life goes in ebbs and flows and, you know, in 10 years' time we might be both in very different positions. Yeah. But I think it's always good to remember in the dark times that these, these times when you are able to express yourself also happen yeah. or can happen yeah. if you find your way through. And it's also great to be able to challenge things too, you know. I mean, take music for instance and you say, what's it like being female and being a drummer? Well, I really enjoy that challenge yeah, of, you know, getting up there and there are more female drummers now, of course, yeah. but getting up there, what you're going to do, every time I go to a new jam, Dave, and I go to the man with the list, and I say, can you put my name down? He says, oh, right, what are you going to sing? I say, I've come to play drums, darling. Right? Oh, all right, okay. So he puts me down as a drummer, right? But there's still that perception yeah, that yeah. I'm going to do this, going to do that. Then I get my drumsticks in my hand, then I sit down, then I play, then I give it. Well, I'm quite loud, I must say. But well, you're, you're a good drummer. You're a very, uh, yeah, lot of energy. All that. energy. And I'm thinking, now, what I'd like to do is get find some knitting and put it on the end of my drumsticks. And just as the band are <laughs> tuning up to play, I'm going to grab my knitting like this. I can't knit, by the way, but pretend I'm knitting. I'm sitting at the back doing my knitting, do the stereotype bit before I play. <laughs> just give everybody a bit of a sigh of relief before I get stuck in, you know? Yeah, that would be great. So, that would be good fun, wouldn't it? Well, that, I mean, I think that's, that's the thing. Uh, I always say about um, the position for, for women at the moment in rock and roll is that if a, man, if, a, if a band full of men gets up and they play rock and roll, then it's been done before. But because women for so long have not been allowed into rock, rock and roll, an all-female band or a ba- band with female front, front people right. will, will straight away be something new because we haven't had very much of that. So right. I, I always think women are in a kind of better position now than, than men in terms of making interesting sounds because right. we're, we're so used to hearing four men. Yeah. Standing on stage or three men yeah. playing rock and roll. We're not yeah. used to hearing women do it, yeah. and they'll inevitably bring a different perspective to it. Yeah. And so I'm always very excited by, 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 by that, and by the fact that we, we are now in a time when you are seeing more female drummers. You are seeing certainly more female bass players as oh, well. Yes. They're the two course, that people yeah. that yeah. you know. We need more women need guitar. We need more women rhythm yeah. guitarists, yeah. but they're happening. It's all know. happening. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's a good scene, really, for that. Just a final question, really, to ask: Do you have anything you want to plug? Okay. Well, I've only mentioned the mural. If anyone knows any gigs, what music we do? So you play blues, blues, rock, rock, but we try and change things around a little bit so it's not as you always hear them but do different arrangements and stuff so it's a three piece three piece female drummer female drummer and high energy high energy lots of uh, stuff left before I move on to that higher place wherever that may be <laughs> um, and, yeah. and, and do, do, do you have any kind of a web presence at the moment your I'm band? trying my best and I'm not this is one of my great weaknesses in life and this is why I value people like you, Dave. <laughs> but you're never around, so I can't value very much. But I'm hopeless with things like... 70s 
setting things up like technical yeah, stuff yeah I remember I'm, you gave me a load of stuff at one time didn't you I did I sent you a couple of emails but I should come up you know we should arrange for me to come round and have a look at stuff I'm trying to get the band up onto MySpace I seem to have joined but it doesn't come up when I google it MySpace is pretty dead I would say in a way I I don't know if I'd advise MySpace anymore right Um, I'm very very wary of stuff like Facebook well, you, yeah, I can understand why you're wary of Facebook. I would suggest to you looking into a, a website, which is actually where I host um, this podcast, called right. SoundCloud. It's much more where musicians are going now, because it's really nice. Really? It looks nice. It's oh, where music is. And it's kind of a social networking... There's a search, there is a net, like MySpace. There's a there's a networking element where you can follow people to listen to and stuff like that. Right. But there's much less of the personal. It's much more just That's the music, exactly and I think it would be much more up your street. Yeah. Well, maybe after this interview, then we we'll arrange get together again sometime for me to, to come and have a look and yeah, help you set one up. Really cool, man. I'll happily do that. I'll, I'll happily I'll say that on mic. Okay. I'll happily do that. So the, the band is called Lemiro. Yeah. Uh, I remember that now because of the three names. Yeah. Um, and you're looking for gigs. Looking for gigs. You, you're ready now? We're paid, we're ready to play. Yeah. Uh, we had a tryout gig about three or four weeks ago at a jam. We five so songs which we recorded. Uh, unfortunately, my friend who videoed it did it on a thing called Dit Dat, which, whatever, digital audio tape thing. Right, right. Which is impossible. Well, okay. Okay, and I've tried to uh, convert it into MP4. <laughs> And everything broke down, and I have I think some, some, to fix Somebody's it. got to invent some kind of internet simplification program, yes. like just software that people who were well, no, but people who were <laughs> born before the internet, you know, people who've grown up with it, and like not even I've grown up with it. Right? Yeah. I mean, it came in, it came in when I was at secondary school, quite late on. And I'm not up to date yeah. with what, what the kids who are born now. There needs to be some kind of program. That, that helps musicians or artists or people who want to get their stuff out to people to do it. Um, I'm so far behind, I'm looking for the slot to put the shilling in to get the gas on <laughs> on the computer. I don't get it. I mean, I used to do that at home with a meter. And, yeah, yeah my, anyway. mom, my mum and dad had a TV thing where you had to put yeah, money that's in right. to get they a TV to work, I believe. So yeah, if anybody's interested in booking Lemiro, then send an email to the to the show and I'll pass your details on to Rosemary. Um, it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you, Rosemary. Yeah, and the last thing I ask everyone to do is just to say goodbye to the audience. Well, goodbye everyone. Thank you for listening to me waffling on. I do tend to rally on. I am Welsh after all. <laughs> uh, but just send my love to everyone. Thank you, David, especially for doing this project. I was a little bit nervous about doing this. You know, you talk about yourself and all the other stuff. Thank you very much, and thank you, David. Love to all your family (laughs) and your lovely dad. Give him a big kiss. I will, I'll give him a a big kiss tonight. Uh, Thanks very much for listening. Bye bye. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at UBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.